What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Anyway, she goes to bed. I open up a box out of Barbara's. I light up. I call myself a cognac. And I watch the 14 fists of McCluskey. What a picture. Yo, homie, that my briefcase? And start asking the right fucking questions. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a very special Rum and Rant podcast. I'm your host, Blake Howard. To our amazing One Heat Minute patrons, thank you. Oh my goodness, so many of you, like, just a, a whole bunch of new folk have jumped on board. Um, I just want to give a couple of quick shout-outs because uh, you're all absolutely incredible and amazing, and I, I genuinely, I can't do this show uh, with the pace um, and produce our other insane shows that we produce, <laughs> I keep building a rod from my own back, um, without all of your help. So uh, Lee and Brendan and Noah and Rebecca and Billy Ray and the boys from Total Reboot and Kate and Ignacio and Matt and Jed and Steven, thank you. You're all freaking amazing. And uh, it does help keep the lights on down in the Antipodes. So I appreciate it. There is some weird osmosis in the world that happens whenever I ask to talk to this person. Whenever I ask to talk to this person, the universe aligns and weird shit starts happening, like really strangely relevant shit starts happening, and particularly really strangely relevant and sometimes stupid shit related to the thing I actually want to talk to him about ends up coming into the universe. And I'm like, I think this was a gift because there's no one else in the world who I want to talk to about this more. You've heard him before on many of my shows. He is genuinely one of my favorite film critics. His turn of phrase always impressed me. Um, he's got a terrific piece, strangely, in the osmosis of us talking about this, about the conversation which has just hit, um, which enjoys the turn of phrase, which is such his personality. It's kind of a mean joke making a movie called The Conversation about somebody incapable of having one. <laughs> I love that line. He's my dear friend, uh, Mr. Sean Burns. He's also a patron. Uh, you're a legend. I love you, man. Thank you so much for coming to chat to me today. And I gave you an offer you couldn't refuse, which is to come and talk about the original Godfather, which was released on March 14 in 1972. So thus there is a massive 50th anniversary a reappraisal, reappreciation of the movies and a sweet 4K Blu-ray box set on the way in March-ish, I think it also is that one, is when that's coming out. I'm going to fucking buy it again. Do you I, know my the Godfather? I just was thinking that myself. I was like, son of a bitch, you know, and like now how many copies I've got of The Godfather 3? I'm going to have like three copies of The Godfather 3. I never thought I would say that in my life. But also... Like the old, remember the green box VHS widescreen editions? I, I, they're so beautiful. Like I, one of my biggest regrets is my brother worked at a, um, and I did as well, but like he got me, he got me like a storeman job at like a warehouse that distributed DVDs and, and VHS. And when we were kids, like we had all these great VHS sets and so, you know, we had the Star Wars sets and all this stuff. And then eventually my brother was like, all right, we're getting DVD. The you know, VHS as a format is dead. And I know that, I know that some of those great VHS tapes we used to have went in the bin and what I wouldn't give to be able to just even have them on like a ceremonial shelf in my office. I feel devastated, but man, it's so good to talk to you. And then just as where you're like, let's talk about the Godfather. I want to talk about the Godfather. One of my favorite people to talk about the Godfather with, and we get a gift and I'm going to allow the people who are listening to this to have a little listen. Here's the trailer for Paramount's new 
Paramount Plus series about the Godfather and the making of the Godfather. It's called The Offer. Listen to it. Sean and I are going to come back and discuss our reactions to it. And then we're going to talk what we're really here to talk about, which is arguably the greatest American film ever made. So here, here's something dopey to get you started. <laughs> we want to make a movie. This can become a cultural phenomenon. The likes we've never seen before. Well, then we better get started. I know how to make this film. It's a metaphor for the American dream. This is not just some gangster film. It makes us look like a joke, and that's bad for business. This is a story about family. It's Shakespeare. Agencies won't touch us. It's epic. You want to be a producer? Bang, borrow, steal, do whatever it takes. Gangster movies are dead. We will snuff out the hatred. If I say I'm going to handle something, I'm going to handle it. And the prejudice. You're still going to try and make this thing? Sinatra wants us to shut the picture down. You got brains and you got balls. Try using both. I can't lose this. What is our opening line? I believe in America. So, Sean, yesterday I I tell everyone your time your time in the states is kind of lunchtime is my wake up time. So, usually, what happens is a bunch of emails or correspondences or whatever. Like we go back and forth with a lot of people, um, and and. So I send a lot of stuff late at night, my time, and I wake up bleary-eyed and I read it in the morning. And here, like, I don't know, like I got a press notification or something like that that came through. New trailer for The Offer. The Offer, this series on Paramount Plus, like charts, you know, the making of it, Robert Evans, all the big Paramount figures. You guys know these people um, broadly. Um, but I just wanted to get your reaction instantaneously to that Offer trailer. Like, what, what, what did you think of it? I thought the Max Fisher players have outdone themselves here. <laughs> uh, it is a really dopey cosplay looking thing, isn't it? It's really funny. It's really funny. These terrible wigs. <laughs> Who's that as couple? Is it Josh Gad? <laughs> I don't know who it was. I don't I don't know. It's not Josh Gad. I but but yeah, I I I gotta have a look at that while they're talking. But uh, it's the movie like there's nothing I hate. There's nothing I hate more than like these true to life stories that somehow miraculously instantaneously date themselves as um, like they date themselves as like apocryphal because they start using dialogue that from the movie, from the thing, like, like I just can't <laughs> stand it. And, and there's a couple of us, there was a really terrific, um, it was actually made for TV movie, Australian biopic about Graham Kennedy, a really famous TV comedian in Australia. He was like a Carson-ish presence. Like he was a stand-up first, like variety performer. And then he had a show and, and the best parts of that show are like about, you know, had another young comedian, uh, at the time, younger comedian, Stephen Curry, Aussie actor playing him. So great. Like when it's in his personal life, it's this and that. When he's reacting with people, sometimes they'd like use dialogue and lines from the show in the dialogue between what are meant to be friends. And you're like, people don't fucking talk like this. What screenwriter? People don't talk like you're talking. It's two friends. One of them's depressed. <laughs> one's drinking. He's going to drink himself to death. And the other one's like using quips from the show. I'm like, no, that's not how this works. Um, it's actually Dan Fogler as Francis Ford Coppola, Miles Dan Teller. Miles Teller as Albert, uh, Albert S. Albert, Ruddy. Right. Oh, my God. And Justin Chambers is playing Brando. Matthew Good is Robert Evans. I like that because Robert uh, Matthew Good seems like he's got the sociopathic edge to play Robert Evans, just to be fair. Um, but <laughs> but it's, it's... Oh, my God. Yeah, it's... Uh, Oh my god! I don't even know if I want to watch, look at this cast. I mean, look, bless you. Get the paycheck. Get the check. It's all good. But uh, Dan Fogler's delivery at the other end of the trailer that said the first line of the movie has to be "I believe in America." <laughs> I'm like, that didn't happen. I don't care what anyone says. That fucking didn't happen. 
I mean, you've got this movie, like, he didn't even want to make it. He was just broke. <laughs> Point one. He was broke? Based on this really shitty book that he cut out about half of. <laughs> Point two. It was torture because they railed against every decision he made. Yeah, that's why he didn't want to make the sequel, because they made his life hell. He was yeah. like, I'm not working with you people again. <laughs> and he gave them the most unfathomable, like, demands. I'm writing the screenplay to The Great Gatsby. Check. I'm directing a San Francisco opera. Check. I'm filming this movie and having Final Cut, and I will have no arguments. Check. I also, while shooting it, would like to prep and shoot and cut the conversation, another original thing for myself in San Francisco. I'm just going to go do that while we shoot and edit and get The Godfather ready so that he can be one of the very rarefied air directors. Um, and I think in the 70s, the Oscars, as far as like critically being on point, you know, I think the Oscars is more like, um, it's more like the guessing game of what the best movies of the year were. And like every few years they get it right. And I feel like in the seventies, in that corridor in the seventies, they're just some of the murderers row of the great, like actual people who deserved. Some of them didn't get the Oscars, but they were definitely nominated. Um, and, and so, yeah, he's nominated for the conversation and the Godfather in the same year. Fucking insane. And Godfather two wasn't even the best movie he made that year. Yeah, like I think that's a totally fair argument to say, but like, yeah, so didn't want to do it. He's trying to get him to give it to Scorsese, who they wanted nothing to do with. They didn't want anything to do with Scorsese. And then the other big thing also is they even fought him so much after all the casting, after all the screen tests, after everything. He's shooting the movie and they're like, it's not working. And he's like, we're just shooting the movie. So he like brings things forward, cuts things together, cuts showreels together, so they'll again temporarily leave him alone they didn't think it was going to work the entire time and then it comes out and it's an absolute sensation continues to be uh easily one of the best films ever made in your country arguably one of the best films ever made in any country and no matter what year you see it whether you saw it in a theater whether you first found it on vhs whether you saw it on cable in the states or on free-to-air tv or you actually like finally you're a young enough person who maybe you listen to this. I doubt it. But if you are, welcome. And you're watching it for the first time. It's one of those incredibly rare pieces of art that you put on and it actually lives up to its hype. Like it lives up to its hype. And you're like, holy shit, this thing, this thing rules. Like it doesn't matter what year you found it. It, it somehow is just incredible. Well, it's so entertaining. I think, you know, when movies get this greatest movie ever, tag on you know it's like they become you try to think of them as embalmed or some sort you know like oh well this is going to be because i know a lot of young people haven't seen it and they're like oh that's that stuffy but like there's nothing stuffy about it it's this really i mean it's commercial filmmaking at its finest like it's just an, she an was beautiful <laughs> she was beautiful like and that's <laughs> i think also that's so people just don't get how entertaining every segment is hey do you like watching wedding movies there's a whole wedding movie at the beginning of this. Do you like watching one of the groomsmen fuck someone who should be fucked and be fucking in a bathroom? Yeah, it's got that. Got that. Do you like? Do you like watching people get slapped around and and threatened with uh, threatened with physical violence? Yes. Do you want really moving stuff? Yeah. It's literally got it's that whole opening wedding sequence. It's still a marvel. That's why yeah, I'm buying the 4K set. Look at all the heavy lifting that does narratively too. You set oh. up everything in that wedding. You meet everyone. You get all their personalities. You get the. I, I love Fredo. It's, it's such a smart device introducing Kay to the family. <laughs> yeah, it's not only is it super smart, but as you said, it's you get to see them at their most. You get to see some of the characters at their most relaxed states and like oh yeah fredo shit faced fredo shit faced i love watching fredo come up hey mike hey he's just like what's his own i'm just like i love it fredo's absolutely shit faced sunny's like sunny's uh occupied and then he like goes and like beats up a camera person at the front smashes their camera on the ground um so there's the money on the ground too it's great love it love it and then just like walks back so sleek and awesome and then even just you get to get the differences in 
Tom Hagen so much so that you know how embedded he is with the family because when he goes to find Sonny, he's not angry. He just laughs like, oh, Sonny. And like that, like whole... <laughs> The whole energy of like, oh, sorry. And then he goes back down to the office where business is happening and business is happening. You know, he's like, there's, there's serious things. Go to this person. The darkest this person. office ever. The best. <laughs> Gordy Willis. The king. Absolute king shit. Prince of darkness. <laughs> the best. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, it might come to surprises no one, but like, um, especially after rewatching in Parallax, so recently and multiple times toward the end of last year to do the commentary track for the great imprint release. And like, man, there's just, there's just something about a person who genuinely knows how to compliment a director's vision um, mm -hmm. that makes that no special effect, no color grading could ever work as purely as like a person who just gets really great costumes, great, great set direction and just gets to shoot it to complement the vibe that they're going for. Cause like, you know, these days it would be all this boring color correction. And I, the biggest thing I miss about movies just in general, like movies as spectacle, um, and you really relish it when you see, I think now like the last, some of the last plays like James Bond, where you see like big crowds of people that are as part of a movie. The wedding is just stacked. So many goddamn yeah. people. And they're all just drinking. No, that was my favorite part of the Bond film was like, oh my God, they went to locations. <laughs> Because every movie now is shot in like an airport hangar in Atlanta <laughs> in front of a green screen. I'm like, this is so amazing. They went to Italy. <laughs> I know. And they're walking through a, a street. Look, a motorcycle just did a stunt, a real one. <laughs> they knocked a car off a road in Norway. I'm fucking in. I love this movie. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. But yeah, my standards have become so lower that actors <laughs> photographed in actual locations <laughs> is a huge draw for me now. <laughs> <laughs> there's a oh. person in a place oh my goodness Four stars god so funny um but so yeah i think let's you just touched on it's so voraciously entertaining every single segment every little like kind of vignette that you have in the movie whether it's being taught how to make enough movie for 20 guys uh, enough food for 20 guys whether it's you know like <laughs> whether it's the incredible, you know, the sheer terror, the Baroque kind of like almost Dracula horror of like Michael moving his father in the hospital at night that seems like it's an abandoned haunted house, standing at the front. The, the, the poor Enzo. Enzo oh, the yeah. baker. Enzo. He's, a, he's the best. He's the best. Enzo rules. He's like, put you, put I love you when pick. he comes back in three. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> it's really good. Um, Most like gratuitous. Enzo made this cake. <laughs> that's a. It, I feel like as like a really biased judge, like American Supreme Court judge, it, when it, when they say that, I'm like, I'll allow it. Like you know what I mean? <laughs> I'll allow it. That's it. <laughs> it's right on the line. I know it's a bit on the nose, but you know what? I love these movies just enough that I'm like, I'll allow it. That that one. There are whole TV shows that are just that are literally like a guy who was swallowed by a desert monster has his own show on Disney plus right now. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's got so many episodes. The so cool many... toy that died like Mr. Bean. <laughs> <laughs> the first five minutes. Of the movie. <laughs> yeah. He's got like a whole show. It's, it's kicking goals. So um, yeah, I'll, I'll allow that Anzo line, but um, I want an Enzo the Baker show. <laughs> when Enzo the Baker show? When? Um, I want the Mortician show. At that time, just all of these like hot young mafia dudes coming in for mafia funerals, and just in the background, you're always just seeing the machinations. That would be fun. Um, so what is your favorite, like, I mean, I know you love this movie, but like when you think of it, can you find favorite scenes? Can you find favorite characters? Can you find favorite quotes? Or is it a consistently evolving thing? Because I know that you and I tend to like revisit things that we love, you know, it, it, not insanely frequently, but, you know, tend to revisit it pretty frequently. So is there something like if you are turning this thing on and you're watching it, what is that like? undeniable like one or two scenes that comes on and it's like nah this is now the unput downable i'm done i'm sitting here beer in hand we're watching this it's done like what, what are those scenes for you well first of all it's always on 
here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's on every holiday. It's just like a flip channels. And now the Godfather will be on one of these channels. And then, you know, like you said, when you're in, but also like it moves so fucking fast. It's that movie that like, it's, the ultimate in the we're here already <laughs> yes yes we're in italy <laughs> we just sat down and all of a sudden he's getting the gun out of the the toilet restaurant yeah. like how did this yeah. happen so fast is that deep- such a propulsive machine do you think that that propulsion is also because it's that weird balance of like you literally relish and love every location and you're like <laughs> feel like you get comfortable and you're like oh yeah i'm here oh Oh, this poor motherfucker is about to get shot in the back of this car. And you're like, oh, now I'm in Italy. Like, it just all happens so damn quick. It's so, yeah, I, I agree. It's one of those things where sometimes for comfort, I'm sure lots of people do it. I totally do it with the, like, if people sit, ask me what the movies are, they're like, why would you do that to yourself? Like, I'm like, I'm tired. And the other night I was like, I'm tired. It was quarter to quarter to midnight here in Oz. And I was like, oh, I want to put something on. And I was flicking through one of our streaming services that had Inside Lewin Davis, which I already have on Blu-ray. It's in my office and I'm on the lounge. And I'm like, okay, I'm putting on Inside Lewin Davis on. And what do you think I did, Sean? Do you think I went to bed? Or do you think I watched every single second of Inside Lewin Davis? And I feel such the same way about both The Godfather and Godfather Part 2 because they brought it onto one of the streamers here in Oz. A really good streamer called Stan, which is this sort of Aussie streamer. has a really great collection of some older stuff as well as newer stuff which is, you know, the streamers other than like Criterion in the States, so dominated heavily by like new shit. Um, and so many nights, 11 o'clock, kids are in bed, work's done. I'm trying to relax in quotation marks on the couch and I put the Godfather on and I'm like up to one. It's dumb. It's so dumb. And I'm like, why did you do that to yourself? But every well, it's time- it's more than comforting too. It's a movie you know so well. It's like listening to one of your favorite albums. Yes. Because you know every word. Like, I mean, <laughs> I was just like, it was on, one of the times it was on TV during the pandemic, I was watching television with my mother and I just started saying all the lines. <laughs> it was like the Vegas scene. <laughs> She's like, you're really going to watch this again? You can just recite it. <laughs> My friend Ali Arakan, we can like, we'll, we'll have entire conversations that are only quoting the Godfather back and forth at oh each God. other. You and Ali, my favorite, my one of my like top 10 things on the internet is watching you tweet something and then what's the absolute lunacy that comes out of Ali Arakan in response. It's one of my very favorite things. The tweet. Oh, you should the, see the DMs. Oh, the DMs. Are, I bet you the DMs are absolutely fire. Um, but... But yes, yeah, so I always worry about the poor guy at the National Security Agency <laughs> who has to monitor our communications. <laughs> Some guy riding down. Sent him twenty-seven pictures of eggplants. What do you think this? <laughs> that poor guy is the guy who's out the front of the wedding writing down number plates. He's like, oh fucking hell! <laughs> Every one of these people is bad. Um, so yeah, like I. I was genuinely trying to narrow it down to a couple of scenes that are my, my favorites. And, you know, I mean, the best ones in the garden with Michael and his father, you know, I never yeah, wanted this for you. And the, the, that Robert town up just talking about it. <laughs> it's, that's such a great scene, but I, and the brutality we'll get there pop next scene. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the one scene that I love, and re continue to reappreciate. And obviously it was the scene that like helped them get, get the hell off Coppola's back in the making of the film. I just continue to marvel, particularly at that age. And like, obviously I think like the Zenith is kind of heat because I constantly tell people, you know, like watching that coffee shop scene, I'm like, if you really want to watch an actor react and act uh, alongside another actor and watch how people compliment each other's expressions and watch how can people can be so attuned and attentive to what they're doing that every little fleck of gesture, whether it's any part of their face, whether it's a nod, whether it's the way they gaze to the other side of the room to pace themselves while they're listening and to sort of, you know, Neil checks the exits, Vincent leans forward. But that scene, the way that Pacino as, as such a young actor modulates between like you know fury and seething frustration at that table and then kind of realizes his destiny killing mccluskey um and slots at that table i just still marvel at it because it like feels like it's happening in slow motion 
like it it's not slowed down there's no trick it's just a like the slowest push zoom you've the most glacial fucking push zoom you've ever seen in your life but I you just got the keep, noise of the train, the elevated train over the restaurant. The train, it's just grinding. <laughs> the train and it just goes in. And I just go, man. And he's got the weird, you know, the makeup of a broken jaw. And I'm like, I just can't. I just honestly can't understand how a kid got it that well and how Coppola was able to make that happen in that performance in that moment. I see that and I'm like, it is obviously a hinge point in the movie, but like that point, it's like, I just go, Oh God, this, this is so it's all over by the garden scene. Right? Like we know about how bad, if you don't already know how bad Michael's going to get, you know, I feel like that scene is like a big, you know, it, it doesn't bury the lead. It's like, this guy has got a level of intensity and a level of, you know, a level of like what his limit is is far beyond a lot of the people around him. Like kill, kill one of the, the emerging bosses of the underworld and a cop in a restaurant by yourself. You're unarmed. Like it's pretty insane. And so I think I, I, I find that scene so lovely, but yeah, that, that garden scene, which is, you know, juiced up by Robert town in the screenwriter. Yeah. yeah it is a, a truly special, special scene because it's yeah, also but... vulnerable Brando. Mm-hmm. And he's and he looks older. What oh, his whole to energy ma- is sapped. Like it's just. What happened to makeup, Sean? What happened to makeup? Marlon Brando looks. It's a like- miracle that that performance isn't ridiculous. Like he just accept that guy. Right? Like, be- what happened to the like? He's like fucking my age. Yeah. <laughs> he looks like he's seventy-eight. He's he looks knackered. He looks exhausted. And he's, and he looks so just, yeah, I think it like that kind of like the weight of like the only satisfactory sleep that he's going to get is death, you know, like he's like the, he's every sleep he has, he knows it's just not going to satiate the amount of tired that he is. Well, after Sonny dies, like you see the whole light go out behind his eyes, you know, it's just, that's the end for him. Yeah. Because, it's the, I mean, because it's, is it the curse, right? Do you think that's what it is? Truly, like it's the the fact that he knows that Michael's going to have to take it, and he mm-hmm. just never wanted it to happen. No, he was supposed to get out of this. Could have been Governor Corleone. Yeah. <laughs> that that's still that's still my favorite line that is aging perfect to perfection. Do you know how naive you sound, Michael? Presidents and senators don't have men killed. (laughs) (laughs) Who's being naive now, Kay? The greatest exchange. One of my friends from college says that all the time. I'll say something (laughs) stupid. He'll be like, now who's being naive, Kay? (laughs) (laughs) It's this whole vocabulary. I remember a girlfriend of mine had never seen it. And she was watching it and losing her mind. She was like, now I understand what you guys are talking about all the time. <laughs> you know, just <clears throat> it's the way men of our generation, guys older, it's just how we communicate. You know, it's like, well, Michael and I are going to speak Italian for a few minutes here. <laughs> um, I was at a, a bar a few months ago and uh, there were these two guys I'd never met. They were sitting next to me. And one of them was yelling at the other that Michael gave Fredo all the chances. He could. <laughs> <laughs> What else was he supposed to do with this guy? <laughs> and so all of a sudden we ended up, you know, we were an hour later, oh, that's, we were still talking dude, about it. And we're all best dude, friends. Like you just got to jump right into that conversation. I was just going to say, that is an impossible, like that's an impossible, it's like a moth to a flame. It's like, you hear that and you're like, oh shit, these are my new, these are my new guys. Like, I guess, I guess. The, the, it was funny my- too, because there was one guy who was, he's like, I don't know. I saw the movie 20 years ago. What do you and the rest of us are, you know, like graduate level discourse. <laughs> Natalia was a pimp. He never could have Oh, God. God, Jimmy Khan. Bless him. I recently watched Lady in a Cage for one for our physical media show with Alexi and I, the Blues Brothers. And man, right from the go, he's just confidence, aggression, masculinity, you know, just like, and 
in The Godfather, even though there are these like bigger, that's what I love, all these like big burly Italian dudes, you know, like all, all the, the guys around him. And they're all like real human shapes. You know, they haven't done six months of steroids and other things to make themselves into these <laughs> behemoths that we're so used to seeing on our screen. Um, but I just, yeah, his whole attitude, like he is the swinging dick of the movie. And that's what's so great about when like Brando's just like, when he, when he talks in the slot so many and he looks at him and you're like, oh no, actually. <laughs> what's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Actually, he's just dick. Oh, just when he writes the uh, writes the phone number on the cabinet, yeah. <laughs> this guy's a fucking animal. He's got the, <laughs> the hairy shoulders and that undershirt. He's the he can't best. write anything down on a piece of paper. He's just right on the right on the cabinet door there. <laughs> a friend of mine had just seen the movie for the first time recently, and I said, "Who's your favorite Corleone?" The correct answer is Sonny. oh i do have a i mean poor talia shire like she absolutely man does she she have a rough trot in a couple of these movies and actually her last scene i was in a directing class at nyu and the teacher used that last scene as a lesson for us, how to cut around an actor that stinks. <laughs> if you watch how much of her last scene is off Pacino's face or off the other actors, it's just, there's just enough of her to get a sense that there's a person in this room doing this talking, but. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so good. Um, I want to ask you one last, or one of the last things I want to talk to you about is the, there's a lot of like weird, and I actually have never truly found the answers. Um, but it's Richard Castellano as Clemenza not coming back for Frankie Five Angels mm-hmm. in the second Godfather movie. It's like it wasn't pointed out to me on in the first thirty viewings. Like I kind of like the 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 again, this, the, the miracle of the second film is that you can introduce a character that is totally tied into this family that's part of their overall network and you're just like, yeah, of course. Like, right. <laughs> you're just like, yeah, okay. Like, I, I don't remember this guy, but sure. Like, everyone else seems to. So if everyone else is okay with it, I must be. And so, so many times I loved and, you know. I would dead. just pretend it's Clemenza in my head. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think that that's the thing. Do, do people just pretend that it's Clemenza? Because God, wouldn't it have been a son? I just feel like that's like the one thing that could have made the second film better is like if they could have agreed to it. Because if it was Clemenza, oh my goodness, you know? Like yeah. That's... Well, unfortunately, one of his one of his demands before coming back was that his girlfriend write the screenplay. So. <laughs> Can you imagine the nerf? <laughs> Sometimes I wonder when people negotiate whether they know what people are going to say no to. You know, in my past job, you know, you come to negotiate for something and I had bosses and stuff like that that you just go, you know, work with different executives and you're negotiating for like a budget to do something, right? I need X amount of people to do this. And so... Like you'd go take him a presentation that was kind of like um, very thrifty, you know, like very economical, very conservative. You're like, okay, well, this is the minimum amount of people that we need to like get us over the line. And if we need to juice the numbers, we juice it. And he was one of the first people Like we took this really conservative pitch and he goes, cool, that's the, that's what we're going to send them when they say no to what we're actually asking for. <laughs> and I'm like, what are we actually asking for? He's like, juice everything. 
like just juice everything up, like make every contingency plan it to like plan it as if we get more volume or whatever, and then come back to me with both versions of that presentation. One is the backup plan, which they might say, which they'll, they're actually going to say yes to, but the first one we're going to try it on. I'm like, okay, cool. And so oh, yeah, well, I had to, I ended up learning when I ran a movie theater, like, you know, we'd have to requisition like booth supplies from the company and they were horrible about projection equipment. I don't know why that's, yeah, it's not important. <laughs> But if, if I needed like three bulbs, I would ask them for six because I knew they'd only approve three. Yes. So, you know. <laughs> then ask for three, they approve that. one. <laughs> yeah. So, you know. So it's... any other any other highlight scenes that you love? What are the ones that come up with Ali in the in the quotes a lot? What are the ones that well, come up? Well, everything with the Turk with him. So yeah. <laughs> everything. <laughs> He's just constant. He'll send you videos of himself doing all Salozzo's lines. Bad <laughs> <laughs> news for me. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. It really is, though. It's like when you're watching Casablanca. I think they're, you know, they're very similar movies in that they're the apex of studio filmmaking. I feel like the, you know, especially in this room, really, like every line is a famous line. It's just. You don't know. Also, having grown up, I think I saw the John Belushi sketch before I saw the movie. Oh, that's funny. I never. I I I saw that only recently. Just someone pointed out the link on YouTube. I'm like, oh, this is good. And I was watching, I was watching Robin Hood Men in Tights the other day because I'd been watching some heavy stuff, and I'm like, I just need a break. I need something really patently ridiculous. And I'll, Dom DeLuise does a killer Brando in that movie. Like with even oh, really? with the things, in, even with the stupid things stuffed in his face, it's so silly. But he's doing like a a really dumb Brando scene in that. I mean, it's obviously one of the weaker Brooks's. Let's be fair. But it was a yeah, I've never it's, seen it. It's silly. You wouldn't like it. It just makes you want to watch Blazing Saddles. You're like, why am I watching Blazing Saddles? What an why, idiot. why am I watching a Carrie Elwes movie? <laughs> Oh God! It's sad though, you know. You think you look at this like stupid miniseries now, and I mean, my friend Matt Perjay and I talked about this at great length one night. But like, if they tried to make The Godfather now, impossible. Well, it would be this shitty like eight-hour Netflix thing. Yeah, <laughs> like I couldn't. They wouldn't make it as a movie because. No, they, they, but this is the other thing. I think that's where digital filmmaking where it infuriates me so much these days is it doesn't complement vision. It doesn't make things better. It doesn't like use something to paint the background to remove, you know, oh shit, there's a, there's our food truck in the background. We're going to get rid of that. It's just to, it's basically turning like school play level scripts into blockbusters. And you're like, this is a piece of shit. The acting is shit. All the sets are shit. There's no sets. It's just the rock into the rock in, Atlanta, Ryan Reynolds in Florida, Gal Gadot in freaking <laughs> Israel, and somehow those three have never met. They've, they've never, never met, met in the scene, and and the, the only the only time they ever met was like doing a promo video for Netflix. It was gonna. You know, I think every rock movie is like now the new largest scene movie on Netflix ever. So they just even if it's not, who knows? They just make it up, and you you just watch this thing. But like, there are homes. There are spaces, there are big, like, you know, the other thing of like, just the tranquility of when Michael and Kay are walking down that street in what feels like, I don't know, upstate New York, I guess, where she's remade her life after he's left, left for five years and then goes, Hey, I want you back. Um, the less is hot. Um, but like just the trip back a year. What? That's the weirdest time jump in that movie. <laughs> it's the tranquility of that scene, just walking down a really slow suburban street, none of the chaos that has been anywhere else in the movie, going to Italy, shooting in the hills, you know, seeing how it's all flowing, all these real textured faces for people that are actually at the locations and staging shots and whatnot. It's just like, they wouldn't, they go, oh, can we substitute, can we substitute, you know, somewhere towards the desert in LA for, you know, <laughs> oh, they wouldn't even do that. Be like, have we got a yard out the back we can shoot in for for Italy? You know what I mean? Like, it just, it doesn't, nothing has any texture. And this movie is just... Well, I think also, like, the approach to adaptations has changed drastically in 50 years, where, I yes. mean, Coppola gutted that book. And uh, 
they would never let it get away with that now. I mean, since post like Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter, like especially for a book that was that popular, you think, I mean, that was a huge bestseller. And people now would be furious that the, all the stuff they cut. Like, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I say to everyone, like, that's why The Fellowship is my favorite of Lord of the Rings because Peter Jackson cut all of the shit. He cut so much <laughs> rubbish and boring stuff. All the stuff that you like can't wait to be through just turning the pages to get to the story like, i can't believe peter jackson cut anything <laughs> i know it's uh, when when the hobbit comes around he's like can we juice this up make up you know make this whole tiny one sentence a whole half of a movie um but yeah. six hours of security camera footage <laughs> of the beatles <laughs> You know what? Yeah, I know, I mean, you, you I, I know you're not a Beatles like, guy, but God, I lo- I could have watched 50 hours of that documentary. I fucking I was all about it. Paul, Paul, Paul. Uh, I still McCart- haven't finished it. Paul, Paul McCartney snatching "Get Back" out of the universe is watching him do that, and then watching George pile in, and then watching Ringo pile in, and then watching John come and like give some meaningful lyrics around and, and and package that. I'm just like, that's one of the coolest. That's one of the coolest things I've ever seen. That's like a. That's like those little you know, those marvelous little kid videos that like make songs by themselves or they just add the layers, but it's like the four greatest, some of the four greatest musicians ever just like doing it. Um, no, it was a great moment, but my God, the getting there. <laughs> yeah. There is a two hour cut, right? Was there a theatrical? Did you see that? No, or they're, I heard about that. They're putting out the, the rooftop concert. It's like, that's its own film that oh. they're putting in IMAX theaters this weekend actually here. Oh, okay, cool. Sorry, you were saying. Um, oh, yeah. So in terms of like, you know, people would be furious that we don't have that hundred pages about Lucy Mancini's vaginoplasty. <laughs> <laughs> this just, whole thing about Johnny Fontaine's dick and like. <laughs> we just don't like, you know, I think the coolest thing, the coolest TV or four TV thing that ever happened, and I didn't see it until probably a decade after it happened because in Australia, we didn't have like HBO it was like giving Coppola an opportunity to, if he wanted to have it chronologically, like the Godfather saga or whatever it was called, just as like this bonus thing that exists in the world. I kind of like the ability for a filmmaker to like, oh, I wouldn't have lost that scene or like the old director's cut methodology. Like, yeah, bring it, especially because of the length of the Godfather, like, yeah, make it three episodes on Netflix. Sure. And I'll add a couple of scenes in each segment. That's about the extent of how I would ever want this to be touched. Like it doesn't, that he really knew he, he oh, I hated re- that chronological edit. I, I didn't like it. I didn't like it. I didn't like it either. Cause I mean, I, those scenes aren't paced or written to be a standalone no, movie. You know, you're no. just leaping years within a cut. And, yes. And the whole point is a juxtap- juxtaposition and you lose that when you space them out like that. It's the, it's the dragon that George Lucas was always chasing. He was always chasing how to do Godfather part two, but he was, he, he needed this trilogy, but he could never balance how to get there. And it's like, you, you're making six movies doesn't mean you can then re-edit it. What you should have then done is re-edit all six into maybe four movies where you could play the like <laughs> jumping back and forth in time, like leading up to these pinnacle moments, see if you could make it happen. Um, but yeah, that's a, no, that, I mean, that second movie is, I saw a uh, news item from, it was like 1992, I want to say. And it was when they were talking about doing Godfather 4. And it was um, Andy Garcia. And then for the uh, young Don, it was De Niro was going to play the Don again. And there was a mention of Robert De Niro's protege, Leonardo DiCaprio, would be the young Sonny. (laughs) I was just like, how did God deny us this? (laughs) (laughs) It truly that that's one of the big things about the final um the 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 latest release of the Godfather Part Three Coda um is when you hear about the fourth one and you're like playing off playing off Sonny with playing off young Sonny and De Niro as the Don again and and the the real life of now Andy Garcia as Don and watching them go into the you know seventies eighties I think was the hint that they were going to yeah it would have been the whole Gotti era with all that you know God it, I mean 
that's one that's nice to fantasize about. But again, maybe in reality, it would have been awful. <laughs> you're, you're like, I hope not. But look at that time, 92. That's good. That's good De Niro. That's a good De Niro yeah. era. That's real. Oh, and it was that, you know, the kid from this boy's life that he liked, his little discovery there. <laughs> God, thank thank God for this boy's life. I don't think anyone's ever said that, but I'm going to say it here. Thank God for this boy's life. Because now we're getting some pretty freaking awesome movies between <laughs> uh, DiCaprio and, and, and Scorsese into perpetuity. No, I remember go- I went to see that on opening day because I would see every De Niro movie on opening day. And uh, I was just like, De Niro sucked in the movie, but who's this kid? <laughs> I was like, this 12-year-old just blew Bobby right off the screen. Now question. When did the De Niro opening day movie stop? Uh, well, when I started reviewing, then I would have to go to them. The media screenings. Yeah, the media yeah. screenings. But I, ne- I never did see Little Fokker, so I just let it go. Yeah, you're like, no, I'm done. I'm good. Yeah, I used to see every every one of them religiously, and then that one I was like, you know what? You're free. <laughs> oh, I mean, I can't keep all those DTV ones he did with 50 Cent. <laughs> There's still some. Same with the yeah, Pacino movies used to be such an event too, and then like, and then Simone happened. That was the pivot, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. You're like, this is going somewhere. I'm not happy. I'm not happy. But <laughs> uh, yeah, we have them at there. <laughs> um, I just want to quickly shout out because we haven't talked enough about him. Um, Robert Duvall. That's the other thing about this movie, is catching the cast, catching this deeper cast over two movies, but particularly the first movie and watching him as Tom Hagen and just everything that he's doing. He's usually a lunatic or he's usually, usually a bad guy, but being this like sweet person who's literally watching all the people he loves make all the worst, you know, self-destructive decisions, um, whether it's morality, you know, self-destruction or whether it's literal self-destruction, like Sonny, like being so brash that he's just like, you know, leaving houses when he's under you know strict protection just because he wants to go beat up. Uh, Carlo um, and all those sorts of things but it's like watching him... only half of his punches actually land <laughs> I know that's one thing that ages so badly in crisp 4k can someone <laughs> make James Khan's hand hit Carlo's face in this next cut um, that the you almost feel like James Khan wanted to hit him you know like James Khan wants to hit everybody <laughs> <laughs> that's what I think is the magic of the movie Elf Yes. Because Will Ferrell's so annoying, but it wouldn't be as funny if James Gunn just didn't want to beat the shit out of this annoying elf. It's <laughs> like the one it. scene when he's ripping down the Christmas is <laughs> the perfect gruff antidote to <laughs> Ferrell's like sunshine buoyancy in that movie. It's so great. Um but the one thing also, um, but yeah, I just I can't get enough of him because God he's good. Like Duval, I mean he sort of gets dwarfed in this movie because of everyone that's happening around him. But like as another actor of that generation, holy shit, is he still just unbelievable? Like I have such a massive soft, soft spot for widows too, you know, um, Steve McQueen's, you know, heist movie. And I love old curmudgeonly angry as all get out Robert Duvall who like hates his son, Colin Farrell. I'm like, this is a, I mean, are you talking, Talk about a movie that speaks my language. Directed by Steve McQueen, Colin Farrell's a complete douchebag in it, and Robert Duvall's screaming at him. Like three key ingredients for me that automatically make that movie awesome. Doesn't I, there didn't have to be another scene in the whole movie except for Robert Duvall swearing at his shitbag son, Colin Farrell, and I'm like, I'm in. This is a great movie. I didn't like the movie, but I liked whatever movie they were in. No, uh, I saw Duval on the street once in New York. It was pretty funny. I was, what is he? What is he like on the street? What does he seem like? He was walking with his hot Argentinian wife. This was about twenty years ago. I was I was at the junket for head of state, the Chris Rock movie about how yeah. crazy it would be if there was a black president. <laughs> <laughs> They'd had a cocktail party before the movie to get us all liquored up because it was terrible. <laughs> Yep. And so I'm walking out by like Central Park and then they're walking towards me is Duval and and this the the woman from you know the, the tango movie. 
<laughs> Such a weird movie, by the way. Watched it last year. One of the weirdest movies I've ever seen. Assassination Tango. So fucking weird. And I like blanked. Like I was just looking at him and all of a sudden you don't really how many fucking great Robert Duvall movies you've seen <laughs> just yeah. rattling them off in my head. It's like, oh my God, it's Apocalypse Now. It's Godfather. It's <laughs> the Apostle. The Apostle I saw last year. Ash. Ash. <laughs> and I just like, I had no idea what to even say. And he was walking towards me and he was, but we're about to like cross paths. And I just said, hey, and gave him a big thumbs up. <laughs> he, said, <laughs> he said, hey. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, that's the best that that interaction could have gone because yeah. I just would have been an imbecile. You were like, you, your, your brain broke with what to gush about first. You're like, <laughs> I don't know what to gush about first. Do I gush about network? Do I gush about Kilgore? Do I gush about, what do I gush? Where Where's my gush going? Do I gush about Tom Hagen? Days of Thunder. You were great. <laughs> oh. um, yeah, then a few years later when they were filming uh, The Judge. Yeah filmed it near my old apartment they filmed one of the courthouse things oh. and so i'm walking i'm getting a pack of cigarettes and i see by there's like this roped off thing where they're filming and there's just duvall reading the newspaper sitting behind a rope like in one of those like director's chairs and there's all these kids lined up and i walk by and i'm like holy shit these little kids are like, iron man's inside that building he's gonna come out and like the guy sitting there was in the godfather <laughs> <laughs> Like nobody even noticed. <laughs> he would have, you know, I think in his old age, he would just be like, I love this. I can sit outside and read a fucking newspaper and not get bothered on the yeah, street. He's, he's and, and to, Tony Stark and he's just reading the paper. Yeah. He's reading the paper and, and he's only getting annoyed by bearded guys smoking cigarettes like you and me. <laughs> Sir, you're a god. I love you. <laughs> He's like, please move on, please. Let's let's get out. Trying to come up with B sides, like civil action. Ran away with it, man. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, because um, you're trying to, you know, you want to come up with something you didn't kill a mockingbird. <laughs> too funny. All right, my friend. Well, look. Thank you for shooting the shit with me and talking nonsense as always. Uh, I anticipate your review of the offer. Um, if you're commissioned to write one uh, anywhere oh, that you I'm, can. I'm not touching that. <laughs> Someone's like, Sean, please do it. And you're like, there ain't enough cigarettes in Boston. I don't get... know. I don't review TV because I mean, who the fuck has that much time? I don't know how yeah. these TV critics do it. There's like. Some of some of our friends and people that I know, like know who have been chronicling series. I just the amount of time and you know, especially some of the better ones who, uh, and I'm thinking of like Roxy Roxy Haddadi, who like mm-hmm. her pieces are always ex- incredibly thoughtful and she's like doing real reviewing work. It's not just like the pure recap work. She's doing these extensive things, and I'm like, that's like a sometimes a movie review a day for tw- yeah. you know 12 or 13 episodes these big extensive thoughtful reviews and then whatever else is mounting on other assignments or side pieces and stuff and it's just like god it's really intensive it's like the the next one that's crazier even crazier still and i know it's both completely out of our realm but it's like game journalists game journalists have to finish the game right and sometimes on multiple consoles so they play, if the game's 60 hours and they have to play it on multiple consoles, that's 120 hours of playing the game before you review it. And it's like, huh? You did what? Uh, yeah, that's, that's yeah. my... I mean, these shows, like, they're, I feel like I have homework. Like, whenever, like, I can, I can yeah. kind of do the week-to-week thing. Like, okay, I'll, if it's on once, but when they dump, like, 12 of them, I'm like... No, I just—it's just not going to happen. <laughs> and that's like five movies I could watch. Yeah. yeah, I do that math all the time. Someone's like, "You should watch The Flash," and I go, "The series." They're like, yeah, I go, "How many se- episodes a season?" And they're like, "22." I go, "I'll stop you there. It's never going to happen." I go, "It might be the greatest, great cereal, great popcorn, whatever." I'm like, "I can't." It's like nine seasons just long. The window. <laughs> nine seasons long 22 episodes i'm like do you know how many goddamn movies i can watch do you know how many times i can watch the apostle and assassination tango in that time <laughs> well also you know it's like like i saw an interview with joel cohen where he's talking about how when they made the movie for netflix that was the first time he had a minimum running time 
stipulated in the contract. It used to be maximum running times. Wow. And he was saying these streamers, he said they're buying by the yard. So, but you know, like all these mini series and stuff, who ever watches them again? Like they're, yeah, it's, they everyone are... gets really into them, then it's over. Like I'm not going to watch Mayor of Easttown again. Yeah. It's, <laughs> Yeah, you, you don't need to. It's part of the exercises, like that week to week, that excitement. You know, part of my excitement was watching your tweets about Kate Winslet eating, and yeah. um, and and you know, you watch that, and yeah, I, prob- I probably won't go back. I, I there are some shows that are exceptions to the rule for me in that I I, I do like the op the option to go back if you want to watch like, and I think BBC do it really well. And HBO have done it really well in the past, where you get like eight episodes and it's quite consumable. I mean, I've watched Deadwood about five hundred thousand times, so there are yeah, some well, exceptions that, that you're like, yeah, it's different. Of course, it is, right? Like there are some ones that you do it, but yeah, some of the miniseries, I, I don't know if I want to go back. There's no point. And like you know, we're saying, like if they made The Godfather now, it'd have to be a miniseries, and you know, these things they can't imprint on the culture like that because you can't. I mean, part of the the Godfather thing is repeat viewings. You know, yes, nobody's yes. seen The Godfather once. No. Like, no sadists people who don't like things (laughs) i'm sure just don't like things well i think just if you own a television in america you're gonna get it more than once just from flipping channels flip the channel it'll be there it's at the paramount network it's just constantly on yeah yeah well they've got it (laughs) The, the end um i am um I am interested though in the uh the 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 adaption of the book about Chinatown. I'm interested. I'm curious. The book is amazing. The book is absolutely Oh, it is, yeah. But I mean, who who can play Jack? Like It's the hardest one. Christian Slater, like come on. <laughs> <laughs> it's really hard. It's really, like that's the most impossible bit of casting. Get that guy who was the bartender in what was the, the Doctor Sleep? That guy, <laughs> Henry Thomas. Yeah, <laughs> Henry Elliot. Thomas. Yeah, yeah. Get him. Get him. That'd be great. Yeah. I, why can't they just instead of making movies about the making of great movies, why don't they just try to make great movies? <laughs> and this is the eternal question. So here's uh, how we did a bunch of shit that we never do today. <laughs> it's like, why don't we try that? Nope. Here's his his eighty million dollars to make a movie about to make a TV series about it instead. Yeah, it's gonna be twelve hours. Everyone will forget it by the end of the year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, yeah, I could just see it like you know, Michael wouldn't kill Salazzo to like the end of season one, right? That would be yeah. the big cliffhanger. <laughs> We'd have to go shopping with Michael and Kay in three episodes. We don't need that. There's nothing I need. About that would be that. the entire first episode. I've watched, I've tried watching some of these shows and the amount of nothing that happens in some of them. Like, I mean, I watched the first episode of the Pam and Tommy Lee thing and it was just Seth Rogen getting yelled at at work for like an hour. <laughs> Actually, that's pretty good. One, it was just them being miserable at uh, in the office for an hour before Bill Clinton showed up in the last five minutes. So like, get this one. Come on, people, get the show on the road. Is that where Clive Owen is, Bill Clinton? Yeah. Is it as gloriously bad as I'm imagining in my head? He only had one line in the episode I saw, and then that was that was more than enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen that one. I'm like, I was Amy Falco is Hillary. It's just, I guess, if you just. If there's a role of a woman getting cheated on, it's going to be Edie Falco. <laughs> well, um, a, a man who's still alive, even though they hit him with five shots, uh, Sean Burns, thank you so much uh, for coming to talk to me about The Godfather, about The Offer, about Assassination Tango. Um, you're assassination an absolute, Tango. You're an absolute gem. Thank you so much for chatting to me. Thank you for supporting everything that we do. And, uh, and, and I love that I consistently seem to make you offers that you can't refuse, which is, uh, something I'm hoping to keep doing forever. And you're the best. Well, I'm going to get a cut of this, right? I get whatever you're making now. It's like Spotify. I should get like, you know, like 0.15 cents per play. I'm going to, I'm going to send you a PayPal receipt for zero, zero, zero 
0.15 cents per play. <laughs> so you just look at this. Get Neil Young makes. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna get you're gonna get three Australian dollars in six months. <laughs> <laughs> so I hope the conversion rate's good when that comes through. You're the best. I'll talk to you soon. <laughs> All right, take it easy, buddy. <laughs>